This is Future Diaries, a podcast from the future, from the future. Welcome to Future Diaries, the podcast that transcends space and time. I'm Mike. And I'm Antonis, and we are your hosts. Today's episode, as well as next month's, are inspired by recent interactions we had with our listeners. Over the last year, Mike, Kathleen, and I have had the good fortune of interacting with wonderful storytellers and listeners from many different universes. A number of our listeners have asked us about ways they could support the show, and more particularly, how they can support the show financially. Now, I must confess that this concept of finances is foreign to me, but as you'll hear more about today, I came to better understand it thanks to my Glider research. And in any case, we did come up with solutions. Indeed we did, Antonis. Since there isn't a way to send money or equivalent kinds of tokens between universes, and since monetary systems aren't the same and don't even exist across all universes, including in Antonis's, never occurred to us to solicit listener financial support. But some of our listeners pointed out how money in their universes could be used to ensure a stable multiversal connection and further promote the show. So today, we're excited to invite you all to check out our Patreon page at patreon.com slash future diaries, where you can become a patron of the show. There's even a special limited time offer to celebrate this new beginning that you might want to check out right now. That's right, Mike. And our second announcement is that today kicks off the first of a two-part series here in Future Diaries. This series was also inspired by these interactions and discussions with listeners. You see, in our universes, the token system called money doesn't exist in the same way it does in many of our listeners' universes. In fact, if you're hearing this episode, it's because the topic filters we've retrofitted on our intertemporal communications broadcasters have determined that money tokens are still widely used in your universe, and that this episode could be of use and interesting to you. Exactly, Antonis. And since we've been approached by several listeners who want to hear more about everyday life in our universes, we thought one place to start would be to talk about the ways our societies meet the material needs of everyday people. Indeed, multiversal comparative economics is a common topic in glider schools like those Antonis and I attended. We thought a fun way to introduce our listeners to these topics in our universes would be to go back to some of our own diary entries, back when Mike and I first started corresponding in glider school. As students, we were encouraged and sometimes assigned to keep diaries of our own, both to help us remember what we were learning and to learn to tell our own stories better. Yeah, those were fun times. So many late-night conversations about economics and politics and technology and ecology. I still remember thinking you weren't serious when you told me how material resources are distributed in your universe. <laughs> yeah, you took a bit of convincing. But I can see how it wouldn't make much sense without some explanation. So, for today, I chose one of my own diary entries on a day after one of our late-night conversations. My multiversal comparative economics professor gave her class the assignment to record some of our everyday consumption practices and compare them to those of someone from a completely different universe. Mind you, that was early on in my studies, long before the much more demanding assignment I described in our episode on Colonies 73812. All right, well, 
shall we have a listen? Absolutely. Let's roll. Org Cropia Glider School Campus, August 10th, 2172. Dear Diary, I should probably get used to writing to you, as Professor Madison insists it's the best method to compare the microeconomics of different universes. And there's no way I'll get to play at the multi-world wide web radio mod lab before I get my theory right. Truth be told, she's excellent at her job, and she's one of the main reasons I actually enjoy theory, even though I still prefer the more hands-on stuff. Anyway, she said I should just write down the things I do during an average day here, and then we'll listen to a diary entry from another universe in the evening class. After that, we'll compare people's everyday experiences in different universes. Multiversal comparative economics, she says, begins at the end, by first understanding the impact economic systems have on the people's everyday lives. So let's start with mine and see where it goes. I woke up to the sound of music. Ivona, my virtual assistant, identified the optimal time to wake up based on my bio measurements and picked up a piece of music with a fitting mood and tempo, also taking into account my taste in music. Today, it was Wake Up by Bass Against. I found that almost ironic. But Ivona always finds music I enjoy, so I wake up with a smile every day. I then went to the bathroom and relaxed while my care mirror scanned my body and projected my current health measurements on top of my reflection while UVing my teeth. The mirror suggested I should take it easy with sugar today, so there's that. I felt like wearing purple today, so I asked Ivona to adjust the color of my favorite electrospun shirt. It looked fabulous. I put it on and went on to my usual stroll across the campus orchards and straight to two windmills, my favorite cafe. On the way, my pocket portal started vibrating like crazy. Ivona knows my habit of going to that particular cafe, so I just had to be notified of an urgent task that just got posted. The cafe's carrier bot was on repair mode when they ran out of strawberries, so they needed an urgent delivery from the orchards before the customer who usually orders strawberry shortcake comes in. I love the smell of strawberries, so I would have done it even if I hadn't been on my way anyway. But those 500 REXP were more than welcome. Someone had also dropped an empty box by the door of the cafe, so I put it in the instant recycle bin for an extra 170 REXP. Just enough to get a golden community hero badge. After delivering the wonderfully fragrant strawberries, I ordered coffee. With a twist this time, I said, and Rosumio, the cafe bot, knew what I meant. Bots are fine for making regular coffee, but you gotta bring in a human barista if you want creativity. And Janine is the best I know. To be honest, I also just needed some human communication. Okay, okay, I also had to gush about this new spice I just learned about that's perfect for giving coffee a more robust, earthy flavor. After coffee, I decided to stay for lunch as well. The omelets at two windmills are just incredible. After a few hours of enjoying my time at the cafe, that wake-up song was still stuck in my head. I had a couple of hours to spare before class, so I went back home and took out my flash bass to play. I rewired it yesterday for a cleaner sound, and my new amplifier just begged for practice. Doing something creative before class helps me focus and learn better, so playing was a good idea for many reasons. 
Okay, I think I've written everything. I'm not sure how this matters for comparative economics, but I guess I'm about to find out. Evening update. Okay, I just got back from class and I immediately had right here again. Professor Madison was right. After asking a couple of students to volunteer to read their own diary entries for today, we got to listen to the story of Jason, a philosophy student from Massachusetts, a place on planet Earth, in a universe that seems to have a vastly different economic system. When I heard Jason talking about his taste in music and coffee, I thought the professor chose his diary specifically to mock me. Jason and I are so alike! Which made me a lot sadder to hear the rest of his story. Jason loved coffee, so he felt lucky to have gotten a job at the cafe, but complained that he had to wake up very early for it every day and stay there for a full eight hours. I'm not much of a morning person myself, so if there's no urgent task that needs to be completed nearby, I prefer to stay in bed a bit longer. But that's not the part that really made me sad. He said he had no option other than to keep this job if he wanted to afford studying philosophy, even though it wasn't leaving him enough time or energy to study afterwards. Afford studying? What is that? And a full eight hours? Don't they have enough people to share the necessary tasks or technology to take care of tasks that can be automated? He also mentioned he loved philosophy, but felt that choosing to study what he liked was a compromise because it wasn't likely to make him enough money if he worked in that field, so he would have to continue taking other jobs on top of it if he wanted to survive. What is this money and why can't people survive without it? I think I've heard of it in history class, but that's not how I remember it. And to top it off, he also loved playing music like me, but he said that after eight hours at his job and then more hours of studying, he was so exhausted that all he could do was sleep like a rock until the next morning came and he'd have to do the same thing all over again. Not only did he not have the time or energy to even think about playing music, but he also couldn't buy an instrument to play because with his job he barely made enough to eat and pay rent. Buy? Pay? Rent? I don't understand any of this. Couldn't he just choose among the available options? What kind of system prevents people from being who they want to be and for what? I have so many questions. Well, now I'm really eager to learn more about how things work in different universes and how they affect the everyday lives of people like me. Well played, Professor Madison. Well played. I'm also quite excited to experience this whole process of listening to diary entries from other universes and learning as much as possible from them. I have a feeling it can have a positive impact on the multiverse, so this might be what I want to do after school. Until tomorrow, dear diary. Right. Well, uh, welcome to the show, Antonis. I've got so many questions for you. Let's start here. If people in your universe don't use money, how do they coordinate the production of essential goods and services at a scale large enough to feed an entire planet, for example? 
Okay, it's easier than one might guess. First, it was a question of technology. In the tough Omicron Epsilon He2 universe, we invented technologies that made this type of coordination possible about two centuries ago. It's what are called computers and the internet in some of the universes we're broadcasting to. These technologies are composed of networks of data processing machines that allow human and automated inputs from sensors measuring relevant metrics. We were already logging production, consumption, stocks, and shortages at different scales for things like energy, food, water, and other resources. We shared data between all relevant stakeholders, from the producers and consumers, to the various governing bodies, to private partners helping the allocation of goods and resources, to organizations studying the data and releasing reports on how we're performing in different areas and where we needed to improve, all kinds of people and groups optimizing the way we interact with our ecosystem and with each other. Okay, so technology seems to have played a key role in optimizing production and consumption in your universe. But what about getting people to coordinate their use of technology to produce and consume in ways that benefit society rather than for private benefit? Mm -hmm. So, yes, the second thing was being smart in the way we organize work. Transparency and data sharing proved to be the keys here. You see, we used to have a token system similar to money, before we realized we could do things more simply. We tried to link the scarcity of the planet's resources with an artificial scarcity embedded in the structure of our token system, money. But when we realized experts were capable of effectively analyzing, visualizing, and communicating the data we already had, we decided to run an experiment. What if we made accessing all that data more broadly visible and organize it in a way that could show to each individual how the resources around them are used, moved, and processed, with the relations between them and the local ecosystem clearly visible. A small city in suburban Inskrovia came up with the concept first. They collaborated with a local educational institute, I believe you call those universities in some universes, and installed massive screens in central locations, as well as close to major production points, on which the citizens could clearly see how they were interacting with their local ecosystem due to their production and consumption habits. The um, university students were pretty tech-savvy, so they also developed apps for the portal devices. Um, I think some of our listeners might call them smartphones. Anyway, the citizens used to carry them at all times, and this could connect with the screens and lead to viewing more details on whatever the citizens would choose to check out. All this transparency in data sharing created a revolution. Within just a few years, the citizens changed their consumption habits to be more in harmony with their local ecosystem. Then this led to other changes. As just one example, a wheat farmer decided to change her farming methods to have a less detrimental effect on the local ecosystem. Then a local cafe decided to switch their former provider of flour for their pastry to this farmer and even marketed that change in a way that made it more visible alongside those large screens and apps. New kinds of products utilizing that open visualization of data were also invented. For example, software that would display the impact of a product you were about to consume on the screen of your portable device. You could also share these visualizations digitally with friends and the broader public using the network of pocket portals or um, smartphones. 
Then more such changes came, slowly at first, but soon snowballing into changing the way the entire city was functioning in a more sustainable manner. And all it took was ensuring the impact of the everyday habits of the citizens on the local ecosystem was highly visible at each point of economic exchange. All right, that all sounds good for a small rural city of ecologically minded hippies like suburban Insgrovians. But how could the system possibly scale to a societal level? Well, universities, as you'd call them, proved to be key sites of innovation. Soon, for example, residents of the neighboring city of Agrincia were impressed by the results in Escrovia. Citizens of Agrincia observed those changes that came naturally from the citizens of Inscrovia and decided to take the next step. You see, it was also becoming clear that money was no longer needed to control the scarcity of resources in the city. The citizens were just controlling it on their own now that they were aware of their impact. So resources were no longer scarce. So some people felt the need to experiment further. They also had a university in the city, and that always makes it easier to find people to both experiment with something new as well as ensure a proper way to study the effects of that change. They wanted to see what would happen if they stopped using money altogether in the university and instead used the same simple technology of large screens and apps to visualize what tasks needed to be done in the university. From cleaning up garbage to cooking meals to teaching to managing personnel, fixing equipment, everything that was necessary to sustain the population of the university. Oh, I, I should probably mention that universities in this universe are pretty much self-sustained mini-towns of their own. All these tasks were organized and visualized in a way that would make it clear to everyone what needs to be done, where, and when. And instead of relying on the existing system of rewarding people with money for their work, the universities would just give everyone free access to everything. This sounds so lovely, and I've seen similar efforts on university campuses on Earth and my universe, but... So far, they haven't been able to grow beyond small scales like university campuses or communes or co-ops in remote areas. So how were citizens on Earth in your universe able to make that final jump? This may sound like an enormous step for many of our listeners. So I should also clarify that all the university residents were already being provided with free housing as it was required for doing any job necessary for the university to function. It was pretty daunting to expand that policy to every other resource, but they felt confident from the fact that technology had greatly improved worker productivity and gave everyone accurate data on the abundance and shortages of given resources. It was clear that citizens were controlling their production and consumption habits on their own to be in harmony with their ecosystem. So this experiment was based on eliminating this necessity for having to control who has access to what all the time through money. In the same way, they no longer had to control supply and demand through various financial incentives and punishments. I don't know if I'm explaining it adequately, but this felt like the appropriate next step. And it was a huge success. The university residents were already producing and consuming sustainably anyway. Since their motivation to work was also not affected by salaries and benefits, which was limiting their capacity for production and consumption before, they then quickly switched to doing what was visibly necessary, further informed by the environmental impact of each task that was there right before the experiment. Or at least that's what the university studies I read said. And the policy was soon followed in the rest of the city, with other neighboring cities following their example. 
Over time, this system snowballs to almost the entire planet. Only a few remote areas still use monetary token systems, but their impact on the global economy is limited because they have so few opportunities to trade outside their enclaves. I'm saying this as if it was fast and simple, but of course, in reality, it took an entire century with many challenges and opposing voices delaying that spread. I guess that's the same with any change if you were the one living through it. Yeah, to be honest, it does sound like a massive leap, but I guess I have the same feeling when I'm reading about any major historical event. By looking only at the elements that describe that change, we tend to ignore the minor steps leading up to when the change occurs, especially in people's everyday lives. I'm wondering, though, did you completely change the entire token system you were using, or are there any elements of that system that still live on in your universe? Well, we may not have money as a token of exchange, but we do have a reward system for completing tasks. We call it Reputation Experience Points, or REXP. We use this as a way to motivate people. The key is that it's not related at all to your access to necessary goods and services. It's just a way to gain status and appreciation within a community. You get a certain amount of REXP after completing a task. But it's also organized so you get more when you complete a task very early on as it first appears or very late when it's deemed an emergency. This system further ensures that the necessary tasks are done, but it also motivates people to either plan ahead or save the day. Different cities have different leveling systems as well, or diverse ways to utilize REXP in general. In some cities, for example, you can redeem REXP for personal favors. In others, you get to wear a fancy hat that's only available with a certain level of REXP. And then in some cities, it is the metric by which candidates win political office. I realize this may sound groundbreaking if you don't have a similar system in your universe, but it's far from perfect, as it suffers from a somewhat similar effect on inequality that we used to have with money, disadvantaging certain groups of people that don't have the capacity to complete as many tasks as others or at the optimal time. No system in the multiverse is perfect, I guess, but I have to say I admire ours more than the majority of systems I've seen in other universes. Yeah, I share the same sentiments for the system in my universe which we will be discussing next time on Future Diaries. All right, well, let's end with the same question we usually end the podcast with. Are there any other lessons you think our audience should take away from your story? Most definitely. There's a lot to take in and a lot I left out for simplicity, even though I still ended up talking a lot. But one thing I feel I should say is that there can be different ways of organizing a society and how it interacts or interferes with the ecosystem around it. No matter how much you take the core components of the system around you for granted, you shouldn't be afraid to think of and experiment with alternatives, especially if it's clear that the current system is not sustainable or beneficial in the long term. I found that the more out of the box the way you brainstorm about alternative systems is, the more likely your ideas are to lead to better presents and better futures. I think those are great words to end on. Thanks, Antonis. That will do it for this episode of Future Diaries. And to you, our listeners, if you've enjoyed our show, don't forget to become a patron on Patreon at www.patreon.com slash future diaries. Because while money doesn't exist in the same way in the universe as we're broadcasting from, your financial support does help ensure a stable connection for listeners in your universe. Future Diaries patrons in your universe also get exclusive benefits, including merch, early access to podcast episodes, and 
extra privileges on our Discord server. Yep, you heard that right. Future Diaries now has a Discord server in your universe. It's really incredible what you can do when your technology transcends space and time. This Discord server is another new beginning for us, and it's the place to be if you want to build a community of Future Diaries together. Please also be sure to rate and subscribe to Future Diaries on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever fine podcasts are distributed in your universe. You can also visit our website at futurediaries.show, where you can find additional content about us and the universes we come from, as well as subscribe to our newsletter, join our new Discord server, and find other ways to connect with us here at Future Diaries. I am Antonis. And I'm Mike. And we'll talk to you in the future. future.